Thank you, Jerry. Thank you very much. Chris, go home and get some rest. <laughs> it's been a tough week, a good week, a good week for God. But uh, my goodness, nine sermons in that week? Oh, my. So uh, be proud of your pastor. He's done a good job. I'm so happy to be here, and we're uh, really glad to be with you. Uh, in retirement, I am traveling all across the country, but we're in town and come to church often, and we come visit Delia and I. She's sitting over there. We come and uh, enjoy worshiping with you very, very much. And we have a, a special kind of feeling about Abiding Harvest for lots of reasons. Many of many reasons are because I know you, and, and others because know Chris so well. But also, I was chairman of the district committee when all the ideas was to start this church. And uh, so I feel like I had some little bit of part of getting it started, getting you all started, and you're doing great. You need to feel real proud of your church, real proud of what you're doing, what a great congregation that you are. It's really something to celebrate very, very much. And I wanted to affirm you in that kind of way. Uh, from those of us who look from close and from afar, Abiding Harvest is doing a great job, and congratulations to you. Uh, it's a good Sunday, and it's a good Sunday to be together. Uh, I always uh, used to, as I was preaching every Sunday at Christ Church, would uh, kind of evaluate the sun Sundays and the attitude of the congregation uh, in the fall by what the football games, how they turned out on Saturday. So we won two out of three, so you ought to be in pretty good, uh, good mood today. Uh, uh, things are going good. Uh, I was asked to come and speak about evangelism yesterday and this morning and this afternoon. Uh, and I, as Chris uh, said to you, uh, hope that you'll be here at 4 o'clock. Some important things for, for your church, for Abiding Harvest, will happen in our discussion that we'll have together. And it's... Um, even though you weren't able to be here yesterday, why uh, you can be fully a part of it, and you as parts of this church need a, uh, we're going to be making some recommendations for things that the church needs to be doing, and uh, it'd be good for you to have a part of that, because it'll be a, a part of you as, uh, as the time goes on. So I thought maybe this morning one of the things that I ought to do in, in um, this sermon is to share a little bit about what we talked about yesterday. We spent from... 10 in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon, talking about how do you reach new people for Christ. And, uh, and so um, let me just kind of give you a quick summary, and then we'll do some more summary this afternoon when we get together. But uh, first is I want to share with you kind of where these ideas come from. Uh, they really come out of uh, my own experience in so many ways. I went in, I became a pastor when I was 19 and served a small rural church uh, uh, in uh, northwestern Oklahoma, and uh, it, it, there was um, uh, a church having a lot of hard times, and we were able to fix those hard times, and they helped the church to grow, and it doubled in size while I was there. I, when I was going to seminary, I went to seminary in Oklahoma and served a small church, and that church uh, also doubled. I came to Tulsa after seminary, and I became the evangelism minister at First Methodist Church, uh, and we wrote a manual on evangelism and really had to think out, how do we do this? How do we make disciples of Jesus Christ, and went to Stillwater as pastor there, and the same kinds of things happened. I was sent back to Tulsa, went to Christ United Methodist Church, and they had gone through a big church fight, and they were building a lot of new churches around town, and everybody had left, and the only ones that stayed were the honorary ones, and so uh, attendance had dropped clear down to less than 100, and 
I really prayed a whole lot about God. How do we do? How do we reach new people in a part of town that's not growing? And, uh, and later on, eventually, that church grew to average attendance of over 1,900 people. And so out of those things, learned uh, some lessons about how, how we need to grow, how we need to reach new people uh, for Christ today. I've been a part of the denomination in many different kinds of ways. Uh, worked with Robert Schuler in his program to help non-denom- our other denominational churches grow. And so I wanted what I shared yesterday and what I'll share this morning and this afternoon comes out of all that experience of what, um, what has happened. Uh, but particularly, uh, kind of the punctuation on it was that in, in uh, 2004 when the General Conference was meeting of uh, the Methodist Church, I... Uh, I felt in that meeting, um, as they were talking about where the church was going in the future, God saying to me, Bob, what are you going to do about it? The church has been declining since 1972. And if those statistical patterns continue, we'll not even be in existence in the year 2030 or 35. And I felt the tug on my self by God to say you need to do something about it. I remember arguing with God and saying it's not my job, it's your job God. And uh, God said clearly no Bob it's your job and I said what about retirement and he said I didn't say anything about retirement and uh, so here I am and I'm uh, traveling all across the country. I've done two books on evangelism. One of them's at the back if you would like to buy a copy of it on how do we reach new people today and the, the, the reality is that Things are really different. And I want to talk to you, um, as I did yesterday, uh, those of you, were about 50 of us here yesterday, and we talked about it. But uh, I, I want to talk about very candidly what's happening in our culture, what's happening to people in Tulsa. Uh, the, the song that uh, we sang during the offering about doing things in our city uh, God is really calling us to do things in our city, but in order to understand what to do, we need to really understand what's going on. In, in your lifetime, things have changed in Tulsa, in the United States. Back in the 1950s, after the Second World War was over, everybody was going back to church. In in the memory of some of us in this room, going to church was a thing that everybody did. At least you told everybody you did it. You lied about it if you didn't go, but everybody knew that you were going to be an American. You went to church, and you said prayer at school, and you prayed at football games, and... but things have changed. Um, some statisticians have said that, that um, their research shows that in that time, about 90% of Americans, if you poll them, would say, I'm a Christian and I'm going to church. Today, it's about 30%. And the other two-thirds of our country are not Christians. Now, we used to say the way to grow a church and reach new people and the way that a lot of the growth started with abiding harvest was just simply inviting people to come. Because everybody wanted to come to church and be a part of a new church getting started was exciting, but today people are not wanting to go to church. The the people who are not in some church are pretty antagonistic towards us. A lot of them think that we're dumb, 
arrogant, self-righteous, that were condemning of others, hypocritical, liars. Now, I'm not telling you something you don't know about because those people are in your families. They're people that you know. They think you're a dummy for being in church this morning. So how are we going to reach them? How can we really make a difference like the song we sang a while ago and really lead them to Christ? The, the reality of this loss in the church is, is felt in all the denominations. It's felt certainly in ours. We did a recent study of the churches in Oklahoma and found that, that two-thirds of, two of our churches in the last five years have not grown any or lost about a third have lost significantly. And in, in average worship attendance, uh, it's down a third. So how do we do it? How do we reach people today? Uh, as I've traveled across the country, been everywhere from Bangor, Maine, to Gulfport, Mississippi, to Redding, California. I've taught in districts and conferences I've been listening. How, how do we do this? As I teach about it, I'm trying to not only hear myself, but hear what the people in the church are saying back. What, what works? What, what is the, the kind of uh, techniques that could help us really reach new people and deal with this very secular culture that we're in? It seems that in looking for answers, those answers that, that really do work are, are just basic for us. They're what Jesus taught. Isn't it strange? We're trying to find out how to be better Christians, and maybe the best answer is in what Jesus taught. That some of our hard-headed friends who have vowed they're never going to go to church, can be led to Christ in the simple kinds of things that Jesus taught. Jesus sensed the needs of people. See, he sensed where they hurt. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He related to people's loneliness. He responded to where their needs were. In the 10th chapter of Luke, Jesus gives a model for how in our secular society of Tulsa, we can reach new people for Christ. He tells a, a story that you've heard before, but before I remind you of that story from the 10th chapter of Luke, let me remind you that what we're talking about is not something, wouldn't it be nice if we got some new people in the church. It's not just, you know, as I've heard so many churches talk to me about, we're having trouble financially. We haven't been getting any new members. We need to get some new rich members. A lot of Methodist churches are saying, what we need to do is to, we're all getting too old and we need some young members of our church. It's not just for institutional survival. It's not just to uh, pay the bills. This is what we're supposed to be doing. 
The last thing, and you remember this scripture, you've heard it many times before, but the last thing that Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, the last words, let me read how Matthew ends his story of Jesus. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and they saw him and worshipped him, but some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now listen. You go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. You've heard that before. It's a sweet scripture. There Jesus is on that hill in Galilee, a place where he's taught oftentimes before. His, his followers are around him. It may have been 12 or 70 or maybe several hundred. And he says, here's what I want you to do. You go make disciples. And some of them thought in their mind, oh, here in Galilee? No, no. In the whole world. He was giving his final instructions. He was giving orders responsibility. You know, sometimes we soft pedal this matter of what we should do. Oh, I don't, can't do that. I'm not even good. I'm not an evangelist. I can't talk to anybody about Jesus. I've never been to seminary. I've got other things to do, and I'm, I'm busy. I'm really busy. A lot of stress. Somebody else can do that. No, he said you. Everybody. It's it's our responsibility. It's so easy for all of us to kind of uh, blunt responsibilities. Oh, I don't know whether it's really me, or does it, does it really mean I need to do it now, or is it really a... When I was growing up, uh, my, my, one of my grandfathers was a farmer uh, out in northwest Oklahoma, and I loved to go visit the farm and see all the things on the farm. But my grandfather had, uh, had survived um, the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl, in northwestern Oklahoma, and he was a tough old man, and he believed that everybody had jobs to do and needed to do their work. And so every time I'd go out there to play on the farm, he'd put me to work. You know, he'd go out to plow the fields, and he'd say, now, Bobby, I want you to chop all the weeds in the garden. And I would want to say, well, Grandpa, I just came out here to play. And, and he would shake his head and say, no, I told you to chop the weeds. Hold the garden, mow the lawn, clean up the barn. And I did it. Because he said, that's the orders. Now, Jesus is not near as ornery as my grandfather was. But he means it in the same affirmative way. You go and make disciples. Don't make any excuses about it. Don't try to explain why you can't. Don't, don't argue the whole thing away. Don't talk theology about it. Just go do it. But how? How do we do it today? You don't, you don't know my nephew. You don't know his attitude about the church. You want me to talk to him? Or let me tell you about my next-door neighbor. He's so mad at the church right now. Yeah, no, 
How can we reach your nephew and your neighbor? How do we do it? Jesus, in his own teachings, he made it clear how to do it. In the 10th chapter of Luke, as I mentioned a moment ago, he spelled it out. He said a man was going between Jerusalem and Jericho, and he found him, fell among thieves, and they beat him up and left him beside the road. You know the story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Two people, religious people, walked on the other side of the road and left the guy laying there. But a Samaritan came along the road, and he saw him, and he got down and helped him. He lifted him up, gave him medicine, put him on his, on his animal, took him into town where he could get more help. He helped. It's the only story that Jesus told when he finished with the story and said, now go and do the same thing. Again, orders. Is it possible that by helping other people, we can lead them to Christ? It's not only possible, it may be the only possible way to some of your hard-nosed friends by showing them how Christ meets their needs and helps them out. Let me just tell you some stories. And what we're going to be talking about this afternoon will be how can Abiding Harvest do some of these kinds of things that will be natural for you, that will be something you really want to do, but will really work to reach new people. I know a small rural church where uh, the attendance of the church had dropped way down to 20 or 30 people attending, and, and they didn't have any kind of Sunday school or children's or youth program. And a couple of the moms said, well, you know, we, we needed, they had teenagers, and they said, we need to have a youth program in some kind of way. And we used to have a youth director, and they talked to the pastor and said, we don't have any money for a youth director. And the mom said, well, we'll do it ourselves. And they started their own youth program. But they started a youth program that really met the needs of the youth in that small community. It was a youth program that, that dealt with the parents and involved the parents in the, in the youth program. It became one of those kinds of youth programs that kids want to go to. And they did. And the youth program grew. And a couple of years later, the attendance of the church had tripled. People had been reached. Parents, teenagers had been reached by simply caring for the needs of youth in that community. I know a church in, in North Carolina that I was working with that, that one member of their church was, uh, had two handicapped children. And she had just worked all of all, she and her husband's life and to, to try to get something for their, their handicapped kids, particularly some kind of Christian education for them. And their church or any other church wouldn't do it. And they were having one of these planning meetings like you're having this afternoon. And I was there. I saw this lady stand up and with tears in her eyes and said, if we could just do something to help handicapped children in our city, it would make such a difference. It could meet so many needs that we know about because we're parents of handicapped kids too. And two or three of her friends stood up with her and said, we want to do this. It's, it's a need that we see and we can do it. And they started doing it and today the church is growing and many of the significant ways it's growing is that those families of handicapped children are coming to the church and finding Jesus in the life of that church. They really sought to meet real needs. It makes, you know, it, it just works. 
at Christ Church here in, in town, we I had a group of five guys came into my office one day and said, if we're going to follow Jesus, uh, why, you, know, we have all, you know who we are, and we've all gone through divorce, and couldn't we start some kind of program to help divorce people? Wouldn't that be what Jesus would want us to do? And I said, I don't know how to do that. And they said, well, we'll figure it out together. And so we did. And that program reached thousands of people going through divorce in this community. When I talk to you about like the, the, the average of worship attendance of being 1,900, probably half of those people were single people who had gone through divorce and found help in their, in, in their life through the church sharing Christ with them in the difficulty of divorce. It just works. It just makes a difference if you really seek to meet people's needs and sense where are people hurting today. And some of the most anti-Christian people can be led to Jesus Christ by just showing them the love of Christ through the things that the church does normally by following the teachings of Jesus. So that's, that's where we need to start. When we were talking yesterday and people were raising their hands up and then we were discussing about, well, where do we start? And somebody said, shouldn't we get back to basics? I didn't plant the answer, but it was what I was looking for. Yes. We're going to reach this secular world around us. We've got to get back to basics. And the first thing, we need to get back to Jesus Christ. We need to back, back to Jesus. You know, you, you've seen, the, uh, saw the, the little bit on television when after the Moore tornado and destruction, this lady was being interviewed about how do you live in Oklahoma with all these tornadoes and such as that. And she said, it's, it's easy. All you need is Jesus and a storm shelter. Well, let's get back to basics. Last week, in the morning, turning on the television, watching the national, uh, you know, those morning shows, and the, they show scenes of the crowds of people outside the, the TV station, and we, all of them are carrying different signs, you know. And there was a giant green sign at the back. It says, follow Jesus. And I thought, how in the world did that get on national TV? And I thought, they're going to grab that person and throw them to the ground. And that person stood there, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. And, and I thought, and then they changed to do some advertisement. I thought, well, they'll get rid of them now. And the next time they came back and still following Jesus. That's the answer. Let's get back to Jesus Christ. Get back to understanding we're going to follow Christ. Not just, you know, sure we all believe in Christ and we've all been baptized and we've all, we give our money. And, but I mean really in, Matthew, in Mark 8, Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciples, you need to take up your cross and follow me. Follow me. It's not just believe in me. It's not just belong to my church. It is acting the way I taught you how. I think that's the, where we need to begin. If the church is going to find new strength in this very secular society, we need to be clear about our commitment. We're going to follow Jesus Christ. We're going to do what he taught. We're going to follow his instructions. Now, 
that's sometimes uh, kind of up for grabs in all the different Christian denominations. Oh, sure, that means following Jesus. And, you know, I remember growing up in, in Woodward, Oklahoma, and my best friend was a Baptist. And, and so following Jesus for Baptist meant you, 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 you didn't dance and you, you didn't drink and you didn't smoke. And following Jesus for the Methodist meant you had all the girls in the youth program. And, you know, it, it just it depended on the church and the denomination how to interpret it. No, I'm not talking about those kinds of uh, idiosyncrasies of our different denominations and the idiosyncrasies of our forms of worship and our liturgies and the music we like or don't like. I'm saying following what he taught. So what did he teach? What are the basic rules? In the 10th chapter of Luke, he makes it clear. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and body, and your neighbor as yourself. He said, that's the rules. That's the basic rules. You want to know what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? It means you love God, you love others, as you love yourself. I like to draw that as a big triangle and put love in the middle, God at the top, others, and self. It means being that kind of loving person in every circumstance. Being there to help, to love, to care. He said that's the rules. Those commandments, those are the commandments. He said do that and you'll live. You'll find eternal life. It's, it's that simple. So if we're going to get back to Jesus, it gets back to his rules. And to make decisions by saying, is this what Jesus would do? One of, the, one of the struggles that churches I find all over the country in trying to think, well, how are we going to reach new people is that everybody has different kinds of opinions. And we're, we, we're caught in this kind of sales mentality. And one group of people in the church say, well, if you just had this kind of music, everybody would come. And another group said, no, if you had this kind of music, everybody would come. I, I, would, I preached at a church in Pennsylvania. Uh, and on Sunday morning, they had four worship services. They, you know, they had an early morning kind of Catholic worship service for everybody who liked very formal worship and, and liturgical things. And then they had a, they had a uh, contemporary worship service, and then they had a traditional worship service, and then at, at noon, they had a cowboy worship service. And I thought, in Pennsylvania, you know how to do cowboy? Man, they didn't, they knew how to, they all came in with their boots and hats on and, and, and playing, you know, cowboy Christian music. And... Well, sure. I mean, they were trying to reach everybody by changing the music different ways. But there's, it's not just a gimmick of changing the songs. What's really, what do we need to be doing as a church to really follow Jesus? It's not a particular kind of music or a particular kind of liturgy or a particular kind of building. It's not having the preacher on TV screen or the preacher in person. Those, some of those devices work. But for all of us to really think how we're going to reach new people for Christ, it means first asking, what would Jesus do? And as you think about that this afternoon, different ideas, you need to say, is this what Jesus would do? Is this what Jesus would instruct us to do here? Not what I want to do. I, I remember uh, we were trying to make a decision at Christ Church whether to have uh, contemporary worship or just the traditional worship we've been having. And so we had some practice times for, uh, for contemporary worship and had contemporary worship uh, 
uh, uh, sample services, and, and so everybody could go visit if they wanted to. And so one, it came time for the, the board to meet to decide what to do. And one of our leading members, a kind of beloved member of the church, got up to talk. And I thought, boy, okay, this is going to be it. Let's see what he has to say. What is Stan going to say? And he started out and he said, I don't like this contemporary music. He said, I don't like them drums up on the chancel. He said, I don't like all these songs. I'm not going to go to any one of these contemporary worship services ever. Oh, I thought, man, okay. He said, but I'll tell you what. If this contemporary music will lead anybody to Jesus Christ, I'm going to vote for it. And I'm telling you right now, then he said with a smile, and I'll fight anybody in the room that votes against it. Now, that's what we need to deal with. We're going to do it Christ's way. We're going to do what would Christ lead us to do, using his teachings as a, as a kind of anchor to show us what to do. Because he made it clear. He said, he said, do this. Be like the Good Samaritan. Do it. He said, now go make disciples. He gave us rules to follow, instructions, clear kind of instructions. They're, they're not, you know, we're, we as United Methodists, we want to kind of make things gentle and sweet, and we don't want to be, you know, real harsh on it. But there's, there's some points in the Bible where it's real clear. Jesus said, don't do this or do it. We need to look at those times when he says it clearly and understand Christ is the foundation of who we are. Uh, in my own experience in traveling across the country and, and teaching, there's one of several experiences that just became life-changing to me. And I've spoke once more, once before, and I may have told the story because I tell it every place because it just changed my life. But it really illustrates the point so clearly. I was getting ready to go. I was going to Gulfport, Mississippi to do the same thing I've done here with you, with the church there. And so it was kind of, it was kind of the district and conference activity as well. And I went to the Tulsa airport. The plane was a little late, taking me to uh, Atlanta first. But we got there. But when, when we got to Atlanta to get on the small plane to go down to Gulfport, the plane was late. The plane was late. And I remember sitting in the, uh, there at the airport saying, you know, yeah, gosh, it's getting late. I'm going to be teaching all day Saturday. And I, I'm, I started praying. I said, God, I, I need to be rested tonight. I'm working for you. And uh, I, I need to get, this plane needs to get here so I can get to Gulfport and get to bed so I can teach all day for you tomorrow. So would you get this airplane here? And just as soon as I finished with that prayer, the lady at the desk said, we're ready to, to board for Gulfport. I thought, wow. I stood up and got in line. I thought, hey, God, thank you so much. You did good. You know, that, that's really great. So I started walking down the, the thing towards the air, uh, the, my seat. And uh, I said, God, could you get me in a real good seat so, so I could rest well while I'm flying and so it won't be hard, won't be all crowded up? And I, I didn't notice what my seat was. And then I looked at my ticket. I was on the first row on the, on the corner. Why, wow, that's, sure, I could be the first one out. That's great. I said, thank you, God. I didn't know that. I thank you. You did, did really good again. Really appreciate it. So I sat down on that front row and watched everybody else come through. And then I thought, well, God, would you not, since you've helped me with this other thing, would you not have anybody sit next to me 
So, so I can really have this private, and I can kind of rest, and I'll be ready for tomorrow. And so, okay. So I watched people come through, and they came by me, and came by me, and came by me. And then a real big guy, just big muscles, big, big guy comes in comes up to the, this, you know, how that small uh, doorway is. And he filled the whole doorway. That's my seat. Okay, yes, sir. And so I literally had to move my body out into the aisle for him to sit down. He was so big. And he sat down there. And then as he, as he sat down, he said, uh, so what do you do? I thought, oh, gosh, do I tell him the truth? You know, you know what, what will he ask me next, you know? But I thought, well, I'm working for God. I need to, okay, I'm a Methodist preacher, and, and I'm going to Gulfport. And, and um, I started and kind of hesitated. And then the stewardess came on, and the flight attendant began to uh, give those announcements, you know, at the beginning. I thought, oh, thank you. I don't have to deal with this. And so... She interrupted us, and we, then the plane took off, and he said some more announcements, and so it got quiet again. And I thought, you know, he's going to start up on me again, so I'm going to get him first. And so I said, so what do you do? He said, I'm the sheriff. I said, what? I'm the sheriff of Gulfport. Oh, really? Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to Gulfport. Let's just talk about being sheriff then. Okay. So I started asking him questions about Gulfport. He, he just opened up and just told me all kinds of things about the crime rate, about the problems they were having in the city. And as he began to talk, I realized he really loved those people in Gulfport. He may have been a hard-talking southern sheriff, but he loved them. He cared about them and cared about the pain that they were going through, cared about the struggles. And, and he st- as he was telling me about the different stories, he started crying. I mean, the, guy, the sheriff is crying next to me in the airplane. And I was kind of embarrassed, and I thought, well, I, I, I've got to get him to quit crying somehow. And so I thought I'd be scientific. And so I said, well, sheriff, do you know, you know, do you know what the effect of all these problems, what has caused all these problems that you're going through in Gulfport? Is it the, the effect of the hurricanes, or is it the effect of the economy? trying to get him kind of talk about it scientifically. He just looked down. I said, Sheriff, what do you think? What's causing all these problems in Gulfport? Put his hand over his mouth, kind of, says, because they don't have no Jesus. I said, Sheriff, what did you say? He says, because they don't have no Jesus. Yes, sir. Those words by that sheriff have stayed with me since that day. This sheriff's been talking to me, and I believe that was God himself. I said, Bobby, pay attention. What the, the problems in Tulsa or any place else around this country can be met by Jesus Christ. The sheriff is right. The problem's because they don't have no Jesus. And we can do something about that. To share the truth and the power of Christ. I'd like to ask you this morning, would you, would you say yes to his instructions and orders? I want to, I, I know you, when you come to church, you usually don't get asked, at least in Methodist churches, we don't ask you to, you know, really the hard questions, but I just thought this morning, I'd like to ask you these basic questions. The first one is, 
will, the thing that, that Mark quotes Jesus, will you follow Jesus? The second one would be, will you then follow the commandments to love God and love your neighbor as yourself? And the third one is, will you do what he said when he told the story of the Good Samaritan? Will you help other people? And the fourth one is, will you seek to make disciples of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm going to do this like I used to do when I was a youth director, and, and I didn't just, you know, say the things and then finish the sermon and say amen. I had them write down the answer or some way physically do it. So I'm, I'm going to ask you these questions again. Straightforward. And I'd like to ask you to answer it out loud. To just say yes. And so the first question is just simple as could be. I know you've, you've answered it many times in the past, but let me just remind you again. Will you follow Jesus Christ? Will you do that? Let me ask you again. Say it a little louder. Will you follow Jesus Christ? Yes. Okay, second. Will you follow his commandments to love God and love your neighbors as yourself? Will you do that? Yes. Okay, third one is, will you try in every way to be like the Good Samaritan and help other people? Yes. Will you seek to the best of your ability to make disciples of Jesus Christ? Yes. Fantastic. Our meeting this afternoon will be easy. <laughs> We're on the way. We're on the way. I, I, as I speak across the country, I, I've found some things I like to do with people, and I may have done it with you when I spoke before, but it's kind of one of my signature things I, because it really physically lets us know where, where we're focusing. Uh, when I was in kindergarten and went to the Methodist Church in Woodrow, Oklahoma, why, uh, Mrs. Shellhart was my teacher, and she taught us with finger games. You, you know, I know some of you are younger, may not know what finger games were. We... We, like one of the finger games was to make a church. Do you remember this? You put your hands in like this. This is the church. And you put your pointy fingers out. And that's a steeple. Oh, you're way ahead of me. Yeah, some of you are way ahead of me. And then, and then let's get now. Some of the, you, you, you younger people, you haven't, didn't ever do this. But let's, let's see if you can do it. This is a church. Now, you have to do it backwards in like this. And this, and this is the steeple. And open the door. And there are the people. Okay, got it. All right, now let's see if we can all, now I'm going to do it one more time. I just want to see if you've got your dexterity in, in place today. You could have two lessons today. You've got a sermon and some dexterity practicing, okay? So, this is the church. This is the steeple. Open the door, and the church is in your hands. And it is in your hands. This church is in your hands. What you do and decide is going to make all the difference. Let's pray. Dear God, you've heard our promises. You know we'll do the right thing. Help us to do it well. In Jesus' name, amen.